Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Captain Janeway, 709, and The Doctor, as well as some other crew members I'm sure will come up from Star Trek Voyager. Joining us for the discussion is producer Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Specifically, we're going to be talking about The Gift, which is the second episode of the fourth season, and Latent Image, which is the 11th episode of the fifth season. The Gift was written by Joe Minoski based on a story pitched by Brian Fuller. Yes, that one who would go on to create a whole bunch of other TV shows, uh, including Pushing Daisies, which I still don't think we've covered. We need to. Uh, anyway, it was also directed by Anson Williams, and it aired on September 10th, 1997, and tells the story of Captain Janeway and the Doctor helping Seven of Nine, a former member of the Borg Collective, separate from the Borg and regain her individuality, sort of, by the end of the episode. Latent image. Well, I mean, at the at the beginning of the episode, still a current member of <laughs> yeah, the, the Borg progress Collective. Progress has been made by the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Latent Image was written by Joe Minoski as well, and based on a story developed by Eileen Connors, Brandon Braga, and Joe Minoski, and it was directed by Mike Vihar, and it aired on January 20th, 1999, and tells the story of the Doctor investigating why some of his memories have been altered. Captain Janeway is played by Kate Mulgrew, the Doctor is played by Robert Picardo, and Seven of Nine is played by Jerry Ryan. Um, and I guess just the premise for Star Trek Voyager that kind of differentiated it from the other Star Treks. Uh, th this is in that era where we had Star Trek The Next Generation had wrapped up, uh, but uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine had begun while Star Trek Next Generation was still on the air. And this was going to be like another series launching while Deep Space Nine was still on the air. And the premise is that this uh, spaceship, the, the USS Voyager, is flung by a godlike being to a far sector of space that has never been explored by Star, Starfleet. So everyone that they encounter, it is really where no human has gone before. Uh, no member of Starfleet has gone before. So it's all new threats, all new aliens that they're encountering. They don't know anything about the politics of this region of space. And it will... I mean, some some familiar occasionally. Well, not initially, but eventually. I mean, Q is you know free to show up in that region of space, and eventually, as you we well, said, and the Borg, and yes, the Borg. The Borg uh, but I, I, I took them a few seasons before they did the Borg, who had been uh, become kind of a a big bad from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Obviously, with Seven of Nine, there we're we're dealing with. That. I think it's the end of season three is when the Borg get introduced, and well, and now I have to ask. Where does this fall chronologically after the next generation or, or you know, like shortly after yes, next generation? This, this isn't this isn't predating the next no, generation. This would be a few years after next generation wrapped up, I believe. Um, but I mean, I mean, in the in the like star date. Yes, chronology. like the, the, the beginning of this, uh, they in the pilot episode, they are leaving Deep Space Nine and Deep Space Nine like had its continuity tied in with exactly when Star Trek Next Generation was. Um, so, right. Okay. So I, I think it is a little bit after, you know, within their timeline, the conclusion of the stories we get in Star Trek, the next generation. Okay. Um, but I could be wrong. There is so much trivia about Star Trek timelines and Star Trek, you know, sort of sorting all these details out. And I am not deep into all of that. Uh, once upon a time, I probably had a better grasp on it than I do now. I've just been a little too, too separated from Star Trek, but I really enjoyed getting watch, watching these two episodes. I was like, Oh, I need to watch more Star Trek in my life. Uh, so I may find myself revisiting this even more. Do you remember watching Star Trek Voyager at all? Um, absolutely. I remember it certainly not when it was airing. Um, but I remember one being aware of it. I mean, being aware of it probably when it was airing because this was in the in the mid 90s right yes the whole series ran from 95 to 2001 so i probably saw a little bit of exposure to it um as it was airing and then i remember it in syndication mm -hmm. um just being on tv right and so in the summertime it you know it was probably like the 10 a.m slot on some channel tnt or mm -hmm. something um, would just every day do an episode of Voyager and then an episode of Deep Space Nine or an episode of The Next Generation or something. You know, it, these were shows that just got run a ton on on the standard cable channels that we had. Um, so when I was a teenager, I probably watched, I don't know, maybe a couple dozen episodes of Voyager just in and right. out on those summer summer mornings. I remember vividly that like when it was um, launching, this uh, became... And now that I'm thinking about it, if this was in 95, I would have been just turning 13. But somehow I do remember like a lot of the mechanics of all this, that uh, UPN was becoming a new TV station 
owned by the Paramount, uh, you know, by, by Paramount. And they wanted a Star Trek series that was going to be the flagship for that, whereas Next Generation and Deep Space Nine were only syndication only. So that means like whatever, mm-hmm. wherever you live, whatever channel you watch Star Trek Next Generation on, that, that particular channel was just licensing it. Uh, but someone living somewhere yeah. else might be watching it somewhere else, whereas something like, you know, Seinfeld was on NBC everywhere. You know, that that was the only place that it was going to be on until it was in syndication and you could watch reruns of Seinfeld everywhere forever. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I remember knowing that this was going to be like a core show for this new network and it was getting a big push and i remember having a vhs tape that i recorded the pilot and like the next two or three episodes and watched those a few times and watched definitely the first two seasons all the way through and then after that just because of the busyness of life not because i didn't like it i you know i just kind of lost track of it and didn't really um keep up with it as much so i had never seen the two episodes we're covering today until uh, watching for this to find those i just had searched around what are some of the best of lists and i saw some thematic overlap in the you know two sentence summaries uh as i was looking through you know these are the 10 best episodes or the 15 best episodes on a few different sites and these were both on Mm -hmm. several of them uh and also um a brother john had recommended um the gift as as one that would have some interesting ideas for discussion and I, I think our brother Alex, who I shared a room with um, in the late 90s, I think he was watching it pretty consistently, probably when you were watching like those first two mm-hmm. seasons. Um, and so I, I probably got some exposure through yeah. him. Um, I, I think I remember him really liking the doctor. Yeah, the doctor is a great character. So, um, I, I mean, it'll come up in, in that pilot episode as the spaceship is flung across space. There is a lot of damage that is done and a lot of the crew is lost. So several people have to adopt new roles. And the doctor in this series is supposed to be a very temporary holograph that is only meant to help in a very short term emergency. And that would be it. Yeah, he's, he's like the emergency medical. Hologram. Yes, that will appear and tell the actual, you know, someone, some actual human or, or you know, a, a being like a physical being is there. Uh, and because uh, the entire medical crew gets taken out in this trip, something bad happens to the medical bay. Uh, the doctor becomes their their permanent medical staff. And this A.I. essentially um, expands beyond its original programming and starts to develop as, as we'll see, uh, you know, so far beyond anything that it was ever expected that this, uh, you know, virtual doctor program would ever be asked to do. Um, and it, it is a great performance from Robert Picardo. Uh, there's something mm-hmm. that, that where he is able to add emotion that also, but, but it doesn't feel like it all feels warranted. Like it is like new sensations every yeah. time he expresses emotion. Well, and this is something Star Trek had already done somewhat with da- data on the next generation. Like this isn't that far removed from the ideas of what gets explored with with data and some of the, the episodes where they really do delve into the ideas of individuality and humanity with data. That's some of what we're going to be exploring with with the episode we're going to talk about. That's the more doctor centric episode. Yeah. And and he he presents like this emotion that is like just barely removed. Like it's not as removed as data. Mm-hmm is from humanity right. he's just like a, a a smaller step removed and it does and so it somehow seems a little bit more difficult to and do it, that. it does feel like there's often this sense of performative like i've been programmed to respond in this way to make you more comfortable <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and yet you can read a lot of that in his performance and i think uh, again i haven't watched the entire seven se- you know uh season run i think th- there's going to be an evolution in that in that portrayal as um both like the writing for the doctor is going to change what the actor is being asked to do but also you know he inhabiting the role for that long there's going to be some changes as well but it's a character that's designed to be at a different place um from how they they set up what the character is you know in, in the first episode it is with like this acknowledgement to the audience that this this temporary holograph uh hard light doctor i think is what they call it is it hard light that's what they call the yeah because he has he has physical mm-hmm. presence he can pick up yeah. objects uh is going to change and we know that as an audience and and one of the things is to you know that we're told from episode one is to to, to look for this evolution and this change um anyway let's talk a little bit about some of the trivia that we have for this uh throughout its uh run from 95 to 2001 it aired as we've said for seven seasons and 172 episodes which that is a good solid run of any series <laughs> to get that many mm-hmm. hour-long uh stories told it, it like it's a, it's a lot of story mm-hmm. definitely um and uh, as would be expected with all things Star Trek, there have been novels, video games, comic books, you know, anything that Star Trek has been adapted into. I think there are some some presence of Voyager, I think less than original series and do so, or, or the, the next generation. I think those are the big two that 
um, uh, those adaptations constantly go to. Um, but there definitely have been for, for all the other Star Trek series, um, you know, the expanded media tie-ins do happen. Um, and I think Voyager, at least my sense, and I've been somewhat disengaged from like Star Trek fandom for, for a while again, not because, uh, I, I don't like the series. It's just, there's, there's so much out there. Um, my sense is that Star Trek, the original series and the next generation are a lot of people's like version of like, that's my track. And then also I'd say deep space nine is next. And Voyager, I think gets somewhat omitted or forgotten, maybe not to the degree of enterprise. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, I think Voyager might be, I mean, for me, it's probably on par. I, I probably have seen more Voyager than I've seen deep space nine mm-hmm. personally. Um, but I'd consider those two in like, the same bracket below the original series of the next generation. Yeah. And, and, and for me, you know, in, in my personal sense, I, it's like the next generation. I could watch the original series if I wanted to, but that's, it's kind of its own thing because it doesn't have three different series that are all tied in in the same time frame mm-hmm. and everything like next generation, deep space nine and Voyager. So with, with, you the know, they, they're all kind of like, they are throwing back, some more back. back into the original series era. Yeah. And that, but that also feels, like they're forcing it into it, you know, like these came out contemporaneously, like, Hey, Star Trek's good. We're making a lot of it. Like there's so much more of the next generation and deep space nine and Voyager than there is of the original mm-hmm. series. And so for, for a lot of people, I I think, um, and at least for me, like this is what Star Trek feels like. Yeah. And the original series feels kind of weird. And, and I think it's one interesting thing about it, as you've noted, um, is that, you know, you had your original series, which was made and produced in the 60s, and it has that 60s aesthetic for special effects for the way the sets were built. How, how many episodes are there? I of that? Six, 60, I'm going to say 63, and then I'm going to go find out if I'm right. <laughs> and so, the, like, if you're thinking, it's like, there's almost three times as many episodes of Voyager. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, the offshoots are so much more voluminous than the start. Let's see. Star Trek, the original series. Oh, 79. I was off. But yeah, there's still, I mean, that's a, that's a big difference. Um, but I, I think you're right in saying that Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager all feel of a piece. Like, it is a similar production aesthetic. The special effects were all at the same level. And there's... They were getting the same carpet. There's a difference between the original series and that. And even when we get to the next series that are going to be, like, jumping backwards in the Star Trek universe at time. So, like, Enterprise and what uh, um, some of what's going on with uh, the Paramount Plus streaming series. Um, those ones, yes, they're set before these, but they have now are, you know, 20 years later special effects. And they don't feel like Star Trek, the original series. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are these different eras of Star Trek that fit together uh in some ways because of the aesthetic and how they're being presented to the audience not because of the timeline in you know in the star trek universe um and i think now all the paramount plus streaming star trek stuff is going to be its own aesthetic uh that's happening that that even though yes this piece fits you know 300 years before that piece those all actually are going to feel like the same kind of star trek and uh it's just interesting to to think about how this franchise has been going for so long that there really are those kind of distinct moments where it's like, you know, this, this is what Star Trek is right now. And there's a lot of it right now. Uh, but then we move on uh, and, and there's something else that's going to come along. Um, I, a few years ago, maybe it was about two years ago, I went and rewatched all the original series. Um, and then I, I had intended to jump into the next generation. And I, I'm guessing in some ways, because of this podcast, I just always had something else I had to be watching. <laughs> and I never, yeah. never got around to it. But I was surprised how much I really enjoyed the feel of Star Trek Voyager, which definitely reminded me of Next Generation News, D6 Mine. I've seen, I've seen all of both of those series. Um, and it made me kind of definitely feel like that, that urge to go back and revisit this era of Star Trek. Yeah, I never feel and I've watched a handful of episodes of the original series and I never really feel an urge um, to like revisit that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't feel like something that it, it doesn't stick with me. And and that could very well just be a nostalgia effect where I remember being a kid and watching some of these 90s Star Trek things. And, and like, yeah, like I know what those walls look like. I know what that carpet looks like. I know what that I have a sense of what that carpet should feel like because I feel like I stepped on carpets like that in the nineties. Um, and and the sixties is so much more distant scape of Star Trek in this era. That's one thing. And again, that's, that's different when they're, I'm sure Star Trek Picard, which the, you know, is meant to be evocative of the stuff from the nineties. Like the soundscape of Star Trek is just going to be different in. in Oh, and it's definitely different in the, in the um, more modern Mm -hmm. films. Yeah. Like I, I, 
just the way the computer sounded and the beeps and the doors swishing, like all that just felt right. And the like when they do the the space shots and you hear the warp drive, I'm like, I know uh-huh. that sound. I, like I could feel <laughs> yeah. that. We've gone a little far afield. The last bit of trivia that I want to share is that this was nominated for over 20 Emmy Awards, which is solid for for any yeah, show. I mean, I haven't been nominated for 20 Emmy nor, Awards. Nor have I yet. Give us time. May, may come. <laughs> um, it, it was a lot of the, what, what they call like the more technical side. So lots of visual effects, uh, you know, music production, makeup and, and hair, mixing, makeup and hair, uh, which it, definitely I understand why makeup and hair. There's a lot of intense makeup yeah, and hair. Makes, fa- <laughs> makes yes. sense. And it did win seven uh, across, across its run. So well done. Uh, makers of Star Trek Voyager. Well, before we move on to the summary of these two episodes, we want to thank you for downloading this. And we especially want to thank you for supporting us on Patreon. If you would like to support us, we, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we're not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now on to the summary of these two episodes, The Gift. In this episode, the Voyager is recovering from an attack and attempted assimilation by the Borg. They still cannot use their warp drive because of Borg technology that they've been unable to remove. uh, And they are traveling at sublight speeds through a sector where they know the Borg still retain control. So they're very on edge. Seven of Nine is a member of the Borg Collective that they have kept alive and also severed her connection to the Borg Collective. She was a human being assimilated uh, before being assimilated, and the doctor is helping her human body to reject the Borg implants. While the doctor is performing a surgery on Seven of Nine, she begins to have a seizure. Kess, who is an alien who has rapidly advancing and evolving telepathic powers, uses her skills to stop the seizure and disable the Borg implant. Seven of Nine wakes up and demands to be returned to the Collective. Captain Janeway refuses and invites her to embrace individuality and uh, help them to remove the Borg technology from Voyager. Seven of Nine does begin to help, and she says, like, I really did intend to help you. But as soon as she sees a means of rejoining the board collective, the impulse is so strong that she cannot resist it. And she attacks the officers around her and prepares to contact the board Tuvok, uh, who uh, is a, I believe science officer. What is it? No, he's security. He's a security officer. Yeah. He's, I think yeah, he's he is helping Kess to meditate and uh, discover more about her emerging powers. During this meditation, Kess senses what seven of nine is doing and stops her. Seven of nine is returned to the brig where Janeway goes. Uh, and when I say stop her, like just imagine like magical Harry Potter hand wavy stops her. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. She just telepathically affects reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> To cause it to stop. So Seven of Nine is returned to the brig where Janeway goes and they have a philosophical discussion about individuality. We'll be returning to this. Uh, Seven of Nine argues that individuality means choice. And if she chooses to return to the Borg collective, but Janeway refuses to let her, then Janeway is no different than the Borg. Kess's powers are becoming unstable. She's basically about to leave this plane of existence. It's a little unclear exactly what's going to happen, but she tells the crew she's going to give them a gift. The ship is accelerated far beyond their top warp speed. They land outside of Borg controlled space and they're actually 10 years closer to their journey towards home the doctor completes the removal of most of seven of nine's borg implants and janeway tells her she'll be welcomed anywhere on the ship once she proves she can be be trusted the end worth noting i I didn't put in the trivia but uh whenever a new core member of a tv series is coming on look for which core member is being written out because budgets often remain the same even as casts change <laughs> and they can't afford a new full-time member of the, of I, the cast <laughs> I, I went onto wikipedia and this and it specifically stated that in this episode um we have seven of nine stepping in to replace cast mm-hmm. who is leaving like this this episode serves as the transition yeah. point for a series mm-hmm. regular uh okay latent image the doctor's performing medical scans on each member of the crew as he does a scan on ensign kim he sees evidence that kim underwent brain surgery during the last few years which is something only the doctor could have performed but he has no memory of performing this surgery he tries to discover when this would have occurred and he finds out that some of the doctor finds out that some of his own memories have been deleted. So remember, the doctor, computer program, uh, in this. He recruits Seven of Nine to help him determine what happened to his memories. And they're able to reconstruct some digital photos from the days uh, in question. And those photos or images had also been deleted. But she, because she's, you know, Borg, 
I guess, is able to help reconstruct these. Um, there is a lot of intriguing speculation, and the memories are revealed out of order for the viewer. So this is a, a mystery episode uh, in some ways, a who whodunit mystery episode, and we are given clues out of order. I'm going to streamline it a little for the sake of the summary. In the end, we're going to learn that the Doctor was on a shuttle mi mission with Ensign Kim and Ensign Jital. An alien was able to beam aboard the shuttle and used a weapon that simultaneously wounded Kim and Jital. They both needed treatment. But while the doctor was saving Ensign Kim's life, Jital died. In the subsequent days, the doctor suffers immense guilt and becomes incapacitated by the idea of making choices. He's worried that his friendship with Ensign Kim led him to save Kim and doomed Jital to death. And now he is frozen anytime he is faced with a choice. He doesn't know what his motivations are for any choice, nor what the outcomes are going to be. And this, this inability for him to, 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 to um, you know, make sense of his own uh, decision-making process and also to uh, face the potential consequences of any uh, decision is completely debilitating for him. Uh, which turns out that is not what you need for your only medical crew member <laughs> on the ship. And so Captain Janeway herself uh, deleted those memories to kind of provide a soft reboot, not back to the way he was originally, but from before this, you know, the last few days, uh, so that he doesn't remember this moment with Ensign Kim and Jital, and he doesn't know that that ever happened. And he's still the doctor who is progressing and changing and evolving, but now is not frozen by uh, guilt and also potential guilt in the future. And yeah, so so they they had spent like eighteen months after that incident without him knowing anything, mm -hmm. and then he he discovers yes, all of and that. Uh, these memories are returned to him, and he again spirals. Janeway is left with the choice of deleting those memories again or allowing the doctor time to work through his issues. But if he is emotionally incapacitated and overwhelmed by choice and potential outcomes, the crew will be left without the medical aid that they need. Janeway and Seven of Nine debate this, with Seven of Nine arguing that the doctor has evolved beyond his original programming to the point that he should not be constrained by that programming's original constraints and intents. He's essentially now a sentient being, and Janeway should not <laughs> go and edit a sentient being, basically. Janeway is sitting up late with the doctor as he tries to reconcile his actions. She's reading, and eventually he tells her that she needs to go get some sleep. He picks up the book she was reading, which has a line from a poem called La Vita Nuova, The New Life. It says, in that book, which is my memory, on the first page of the chapter, that is the day when I first met you, appear the words, here begins a new life. The end. So it doesn't actually resolve <laughs> a lot. Like, <laughs> No, that's like, it, it seems like... Um, Captain Janeway decided to give him time mm -hmm. and and essentially kind of opted for a therapeutic right. approach as opposed to a I don't I don't know what to call it you know the you know the 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 surgical mm -hmm. approach in in the case of his memory banks yeah um, and so these two episodes I think offer quite a lot of interesting ideas to to explore but I also like that they don't necessarily tell you what to think about these ideas it's um you, some of those stories that raise issues but don't give you like the moral message at the end which can be a frustrating practice I think but both of these landed well for me I, I think there's a sweet spot where you can land with that kind of ambiguity about what we're supposed to think and what the right choice is or not uh and uh I, th I think these are both successful episodes in in light of that yeah i think um and and there's been in the course of 300 and some odd episodes a lot of different sci-fi stories mm -hmm. that have been brought in and i there's a type of sci-fi that is action adventure and lasers and guns and fighting and, and, and ship to ship combat and those kinds of things. And there's a type of sci-fi that's really heavy in like, Hey, as society advances, and if we explore more and more outside of certain boundaries, you're faced with more and more philosophical and moral conundrums or mm -hmm. quandaries or, or things to consider. And, you know, these are new moral experiments that, that we have to play with. And I think most of Star Trek is really in that latter category. And a lot of sci-fi is. Yeah. Um, and it's really dissimilar from the, the more recent Star Trek films. Those are pretty much action films. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I, it's hard to think of Star Trek movies in the same vein as the, the most of the series being blockbusters. Yeah. You know, because it's that philosophical. I mean, that's what the next generation is constantly about. And especially the things that are considered the best episodes. 
right? They are not actiony episodes. They're not combat episodes. They are philosophical or mystery based. Or like hard there's choice a lot episodes of where there's there's choices mm-hmm. where there's no clear right and wrong. They're like every choice you make is a little bit right, a little bit wrong. <laughs> Yeah, like Star Trek spends a lot of time with people trying to figure out what their decision is going to be, like like days and days of trying to figure out what their decision to a certain situation is going to be. And I think oh, and okay. I think it's really I think it's really, really good. I, like it's really compelling to have someone faced with that decision and to say, OK, I think this is the decision I want to make. And then to have to get input from different people, you know, different opinions. But there's still a captain who's going to make the decision. And I th- and so they, they have to consider all those different opinions. I think it's really interesting with Captain Janeway, in particular, like contrast her with like a Captain Kirk from the original series. The original series was, again, like a very different time, and it is completely episodic. There's very little that carries over from one episode to the next, and often it seems like they've forgotten whatever lesson seemed to be the moral from one episode, and they're they're back to square one in the I next think, I'm pretty sure there's episodes with, that have like completely opposite mm-hmm. resolutions. Yes, but in that, like Captain Kirk is not someone who struggles with deciding a course of action. He has a, a sense of what needs to be done, what is right. And he will monologue about it. And often like that is you are told like what the takeaway of this particular story is by, uh, you know, his words sometimes like ending in, the, you know, not necessarily a fight, but like his words and, and like the moral certainty that he carries with him uh, about what he says as he monologues, you know, that is going to be the turning point of a particular episode. And uh, as we enter Star Trek, the next generation, and D Space Nine, we're going to get a lot more long form storytelling, uh, more so with D Space Nine than Next Generation. De- Next Generation is still often episodic. I think it definitely does have like some long form storytelling, but but D Space Nine starts to be like, okay, you need to watch this entire season to understand the storylines that are that are playing out. Uh, I think they start to play with the relationships evolving a lot yes, more too, and the politics of where Deep Space Nine is. You know, the the idea of this space station that's uh, you know at the edge of like two warring um, uh, races. Uh, you know. What are the politics of that? Um, and then this uh, w- with Star Trek Voyager, we've definitely like I said from day one, like the evolution of the doctor's AI program was something we were told is going to be one of, you know, the, the through lines of this entire series. And as we get seven of nine introduced, you know, this is not going to be a character that's going to be the same at the end of this season as she is at the beginning of the season. That's just inevitable um, for what they have set up. And we see. I, I think because of that, we see Janeway having to wrestle with questions and then the ramifications uh of the decisions that she makes in a way that's very different than captain kirk in in the original series right where where mm-hmm. like the decision he makes is what ends the storyline uh and for janeway particularly in these two you know episodes that we've chosen which i think definitely have a lot of thematic overlap of you know uh dealing with um and a being or a member of her crews uh what it means for them to to be a person right like the, the personness mm-hmm. of and, seven and, of nine and their agency uh, yes their agency her role as a captain trying to preserve a ship and the need to preserve you know for the good of the whole can she edit the doctor's memory you know is, is that a choice uh you know to be made which is something that's definitely going to be the star trek the original series is going to be playing with the idea of the, the needs of the one versus the needs of the many in the in their films the original um you know uh, run of uh six films uh more so than uh, like i said we we get in every episode of the original series uh but that's one of the things that we're seeing her wrestle with uh and then with with seven of nine again it's like well we kind of need you as a former member of the board who understands board technology we need you uh now (laughs) to to help save the ship and the entire crew on the ship and uh i'm going to do something that's going to be very traumatic for you in order to achieve that end uh but also I think this is going to be good for you in the end. Well, I don't think it's going to be good for me. I want to return to the Borg. Well, I don't think that will be good for you. So I need to assert my role in, in my role as captain, make a choice uh, that is definitely removing some of Seven and Nine's agency. Now, Janeway firmly believes that in the end, if Seven and Nine had full agency, she would make the choice that Janeway is making for her. But it's not the choice Seven and Nine wants to make right right now. Um, and so you you're kind of left with this discomfort and that's an interesting place to be particularly with our our lead of the show right like captain janeway is the lead of our show and we're being left with is she making the right choice in in these episodes and not being told with clarity yes absolutely right Hmm. yeah and i i, I think that's got to be a really tough role to play it being that captain where there is that moral ambiguity but you also still need to be like kind of unequivocally mm-hmm. good 
to be the lead in, in this kind of Star Trek show. Um, and I, I think it's done really well overall in both of these episodes where it's like, okay, this is someone who's making tough decisions and sometimes making those decisions for other people as, as we see. And that's kind of a questionable thing. And so you kind of have to like take a beat and be like, is it good that she's making decisions for other people? And they, and they interrogate Mm -hmm. that through the show and have her go through the decision-making process where, where you said, you know, we don't really see that with captain Kirk. His decision-making process is, he made a decision. <laughs> yes. Whereas Janeway's decision making process is I'm going to think about this. I'm going to ponder this. I'm going to get insight from other people. I'm going to take opinions mm-hmm. and quite possibly change right. her decision. And I, I do want to acknowledge there are definitely some original series episodes where like he gets his input from Spock. He gets his input from McCoy. He's like, I don't know what to do, but I, you know, but in the end, he has to be the one to make the choice and he makes it. And we're told that was the right choice uh, by what happens in the narrative. Right. And this narrative I mean, like, like I said, the doctor episode, like it doesn't actually end with any sense of closure on the issues that this this is thematically raised at all. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it's kind of like the beginning of his recovery. Mm-hmm. If, if that's what we're going to yeah. call it, you know, it's not like, OK, he's good and he's back in the medical bay like he is distinctly not in the medical bay <laughs> at the end of the episode. Yeah. And, uh, and and that's, you know, it does that slow kind of fade out on on that shot of him sitting alone looking at this book that he just read you know that that line from aloud and there's definitely ambiguity there um and similarly with like the seven of nine i found a quote from jerry ryan where she was talking about that the episode that um we recapped the gift and she said let's see her quotes were it's a very good show and a very good script they did an excellent job with the debate between seven and janeway they made the argument not so black and white janeway's choices are not clear-cut there are no absolutely right or wrong answers uh and then another time she's talking about she says i applauded the fact that the writers had the guts to make it a gray issue as opposed to a black and white one they didn't make janeway completely right uh sitting on uh uh, on her high horse while the borg were completely evil uh, because they're not they had a lot of courage to do something like that and i thought it was terrific um and the the sense of when we're getting again into the these ideas of identity and belonging and individuality and all these issues all these issues and um i think this is one of those kinds of themes that science fiction can explore uh in a really intriguing way where there's like enough distance that you understand some of the issues that are getting explored, but it feels so, so different because it is, you know, the alien Borg collective. Uh, but then you can understand like, Oh, they're, they're talking about some real world issues of, um, you know, be it, uh, you know, uh, cults or, um, or you know, politics or, yeah. you know, w- willful, willful participation, mm-hmm. consent yeah. and identity mm-hmm. and, and yeah, all those kinds of things. Um, and that's something, I mean, it, in, in the real world, it is very, very difficult to parse. And I think it's good to have things like this, this science fiction, um, this setting, this this kind of scenario to try and do some of that work for people and to go through some of those hard decisions. And it feels and I'm, I'm going to you know say with a lot of confidence, it feels almost more OK for them to come to a decision and have it be in the gray mm-hmm. area in this kind of setting than it does in the real world Um, because when you get into it in the real world and you're dealing with, with a real person, it's, it's kind of a different scenario because it is so much closer to home. I work in a treatment center for people dealing with mental health concerns and people with mental health concerns aren't always super willful in their participation, right? That is a, a situation that, that kind of everyone understands, right? That you have to deal with things that are theoretically against someone's will for their own good, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and this is a really complicated thing. And this is something, I mean, this is potentially going to be kind of intense for, for discussion, but what does it mean when you prevent, prevent someone from committing suicide? Yeah. And and I think like they have will that they're trying to exert over their, their Mm -hmm. own self and you're exerting your will against theirs in that situation. And you have a lot of very complicated implications in that kind of interaction. Right. right? And that's something that like in the treatment center environment, if someone is attempting to self harm, mm-hmm. we a hundred percent physically prevent that. We will physically restrain someone who is trying to self harm. And 
that can look pretty questionable mm-hmm. <laughs> under under a circumstance where you're saying like, oh, you you need to physically restrain somebody like physical restraint is not necessarily a good thing. And like, I wouldn't say that it's good to physically restrain people in most conditions, but if they're willfully trying to hurt themselves in that situation, then you have to stop them. And then you have to work with them about, okay, like we're not trying to do that. We're trying to create healthy coping skills and that's an unhealthy coping skill and all those kinds of things. And, and we are trying to change something about this person, right? That's part of psychological treatment. And anyone who has been in extensive therapy for for a psychological disorder, even something as as relatively mild in some cases as like an anxiety disorder mm-hmm. that makes them fidget when they don't want to. Right. You know, it makes them fidgety, but they want to prevent that. Right. So they are going through an exercise of of changing something that is kind of natural to themselves. So how do you face those kinds of decisions? And it's a really, really tricky area. And, and that's some of the stuff that I started seeing in this episode. It's like, oh, they're dealing with that kind of questions. Like, but my will is to do this. Well, I can't let you embrace your own will in this situation. It's not for your own good. Yeah. Well, who gets to say what's for my own good? If, if not my own decisions, yes, I, I can see that a lot in the seven to nine. I, I think the, uh, the doctor episode is in some ways getting to, to a different issue. It, it reminded me of the, the trolley oh, yeah, problem definitely. With, that, with that, that one different. where, um, the, the idea of like, okay, there's, kind of two horrifying choices in front of you um and there's going to be a bad outcome and you actually are in control of who gets the bad outcome um and then what kind of you know guilt guilt is is going to come from that when you know like someone is getting the bad outcome and so the trolley problem it's like well you know you've got the five people on one track and and one on the other and you naturally would say well we you know save the higher number let's I'm going to send the trolley down the track with only one person. They say, well, what if that person is your mother or your, or your, you know, your significant other, you know, whatever relationship maybe that is going to make it now more personal and emotional. And, you know, uh, and in, in this, the, uh, you know, they essentially say that the doctor had a trolley problem and he treated his friend, the, the person he had a more, uh, more, more of a connection to. And, and they try to, um, you know, cover all the like computational elements and say like, okay, he's supposed to assess things and and do it on a triage system where he's assessing, you know, who has the greater chance of survival. He's like, okay, but what if they have exactly the same chance of survival? Yes, they got hit by the exact um, same weapon. It, it was like a, a multi-barreled weapon that shot both of them simultaneously and did the exact yeah. same damage uh, to them. And so really it is, I can save one of you. Yeah. And, and so, you know, he says like, so I, I chose one and like, well, he kind of is supposed to, and he and and he also says like by programming is designed to have rational detachment um, from from the death of a patient. So it, this doesn't happen every time a patient dies mm-hmm. for him, but in this particular scenario, he's trying to determine like, well, how do I make a decision? Like my computer is supposed to make the decision. You know, it's supposed to be just a pure computational statistical analysis. And when that doesn't happen, I, like he's kind of coming to grips with the idea of having some decision-making factors that are not accountable. Yeah. So, you know, this is something that the, the programmers couldn't (laughs) because he's changed so much, like uh, the idea of an emotional attachment or even any kind of familiarity uh, wasn't something that was really programmed into him because he was never supposed to be used more than once in an emergency. And also he was supposed to reset every time he turned on. Uh, And yeah, he's not designed for long-term mm-hmm. use. And if he is getting used for any kind of repeated usage, it would still be a reset every single time. Uh, but they they created, you know, this new version of how this doctor is going to be, um, uh, you know, used. And it ends up introducing new variables into his AI that the system can't work with. And now adding into all that he's going to experience guilt right and and uncertainty and self-doubt and self-questioning uh and i like that they do a good job of showing how that questioning of his earlier actions and seeing that outcome now is terrifying for him to consider future potential outcomes of any choice that he makes Mm -hmm. yeah he he develops that sense of responsibility like by making this choice i caused one person to die instead of the other person so what is every choice that I make going to cause by consequence, right? He, he gets into that consequentialist thinking um, and spirals, spirals from there. I think it's also really, um, I mean, it, it, they present like multiple philosophical 
debates in this episode, mm-hmm. like the 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 guilt and responsibility of having made one decision over another decision. Like, are you responsible for the decision that you did not make, mm-hmm. you know, or the thing that you did not choose? And um, I found a even as he's like running through this, he's like, do I even have a choice? He's like, I am a computer program. Do I even have a choice? And I found a little monologue that he gives. And and by the way, uh, Robert, uh, it's Robert uh, Picardo. Uh, a great performance in this. What a performance that mm-hmm. he's able to give in this. Really, really, really um, substantial. And he says, uh, the primordial atom bursts, sending out its radiation, setting everything in motion. One particle collides with another. Gases expand. Planets contract. And before you know it, we've got starships and holodecks and chicken soup. In fact, you can't help but have starships and holodecks and chicken soup because it was all determined 20 billion years ago. And then Tuvok says, there's a, there's a certain logic to your logic. <laughs> but he's got, like, even getting into the idea of, like, determination and choice. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, pure determination. Mm-hmm. yeah like it was my, her uh Jital's death like foretold basically by the collision of atoms 20 billion years ago you know the plasma the butterfly wings mm-hmm. uh did that set is the, is there a possibility for free will and choice even and, and he's seeing that for himself personally because he's saying like i am computer programs i am you know responding to the stimuli but is that all any of us are like as all of our existence just been you know, nature and atoms responding to stimuli and leading to consciousness. And that consciousness responds to stimuli and leads to, as he says, starships and holodecks and chicken soup. Uh, and, and eventually me being in this room, having this meltdown right in front of all of the crew <laughs> as I'm debating uh, what even choice is. And I love that in this episode with the doctor, Janeway and seven of nine talk philosophically about this because like there, there's so much overlap between this I, I, and these stories are told so differently right <laughs> uh, yeah but i think i think they're really good counterpoints because in the first one it's it's decisions regarding seven of nine and janeway and the doctor are discussing it and the doctor's you know talking about well without a patient's consent what what am i able to do you know like i i have to deal with consent um and and um and approval to to do things and then in the in the second episode it's reversed, uh-huh. right? The doctor is the one that has decisions being made for him. And seven of nine is coming in to, to say, you know, well, what is his identity? Yes. Uh, you know, th- um, and, and she was unconscious for, for all of his discussion with her um, in, in the previous episode. And granted, that's a full season mm-hmm. apart. But um, it's great that they have so this trio the, of characters are really eh, with, with Captain Janeway at the center point, you know, that that's the pivot uh, mm-hmm. of this Um you get you how these interact and um another line that i loved is uh seven of nine uh, and janeway uh come and talk and uh well they come and talk a few different times but the second time uh janeway says i'm having trouble with the nature of individuality and uh seven of nine says you require philosophical discussion and janeway says there's a time and a place for it this is one of them <laughs> or maybe it's reverse who, who's saying that uh but but i just mm. love that uh you know this is a time and a place for philosophical discussions. This is one of them. Like they're they're making in some ways like the subtext text, um, but uh, not in a way that feels heavy handed because these are the you know it's not saying and making the subtext text. This is what you as an audience should be thinking about. It is saying this is what Janeway's wrestle is right now. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is these kind of philosophical ideas and the fact that the choice is going to rest on her. Not just, uh, again, I, I think one thing that they successfully make make clear, this isn't saying what is good for the doctor, you know, as a being, what am I supposed to do? It is as the captain of the starship, who is responsible for the life of everyone and are what has become, uh, yeah, I think originally it was 75 years and, you know, every season they chop off 10 years from that quest <laughs> you know, to, to get home <laughs> through some way. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just trying <laughs> yeah. to get back. Like they're just traveling basically in one direction having a few side missions, but they're just trying to get across the mm-hmm. universe. And uh, the, the doctor is the only person who can keep us alive to do that. <laughs> and if he is having this existential crisis that is crippling his ability to act in that role, does Kate, uh, or sorry, uh, Janeway, I was about to say Kate Mulgrew, does Captain Janeway have the responsibility to essentially reset him to a point where he is not having that anxiety that is preventing him from being able to carry out? Uh, his task because she needs him to keep everyone on the on the voyager alive uh and and so you see like the the constellation of of uh you know responsibilities that are pulling on on kate mulgrew like she has become a friend to the doctor she wants him 
to evolve to to be better she understands the moral and philosophical weight of uh of forcing a change on, on him uh she sees his need to fulfill a role for the crew her responsibility to the crew like there, there's so much that's there that there are so many again, again like the paths before her aren't the right or wrong it is this one has some right and some wrong for these reasons this one has some right and wrong for these reasons this one over here has some right and wrong for these reasons and she's just you know sitting up late trying to figure it out mm-hmm. yeah like like we just spent a lot of time like she is thinking she has to do a lot of thinking acting in in this role and and like i am coming to a decision i am going to ponder this decision i am going to think while someone else talks to me about the decision and she i've got to say like kate mulgrew she has a great voice for leadership like just the the tone of her voice mm-hmm. uh it, it is so good <laughs> and, and uh her performances and it, 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 it that weight that you're describing you know that that thinking acting I, I think it she's able to do that which is not i think the easiest role to give someone is to like sit in silence and come to a conclusion but don't overdo it yeah (laughs) and then she's also able to like she's able to deliver like conviction when she comes to her decision um even when she's she's changing from one decision to another when she she switches to something else she has a certain amount of conviction and 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 gravity to that expression of the like the final sentiment you know like this is what's happening or this is the decision i'm making and i know that there are counterpoints to this decision but this is the, the decision that i am making you know, and so there's a certain um, there's a certain element to that performance and not everyone can do that. Right. Like not everyone that you see in this show could be the captain on the starship and, and convey that effectively. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I, I, I do want to say there's so much thematic overlap between these two episodes, but they feel so different. The first episode with seven or nine is um, a little more action oriented. Uh, like it, it, you feel still like the pressure of the Borg and the presence of this looming threat. And it, it kind of has like a, a 50-50, like it's it's not so much like an A plot and a B mm-hmm. plot. Like um, Kess is pretty central yeah, to everything. Yeah, they're trying to give right? the, really the right intertwined. Uh, which not every series mm-hmm. has managed to do for characters that they're writing out of the show. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then they do a, a pretty solid introduction. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really well balanced. I was very surprised at how well balanced it was. And then this, the, the episode with the Doctor, this is at first like a a mystery box episode of like here's yes here's strangeness that's going on it. and they even like give you some red herrings of the doctor like speculating he's like uh my memories have been altered there could be an alien force that's doing this this, this could be enemies that we've made uh in, in our journey across the sector uh you know we, we need to, to research this and you we don't know it then but uh because the scene is given to us from the doctor's point of view but the captain knows exactly <laughs> what what has happened what yeah what's going on and i i was fully anticipating as i started watching that episode i was like fully anticipating a classic like okay starship mystery episode is it going to get a little spooky is there an alien sneaking around on the ship or is there like interdimensional stuff i remember there's like a, a, a next generation episode like that mm-hmm. where interdimensional aliens start doing things and like that's a pretty classic star trek thing and then they kind of really shift gears into the philosophical debate about individuality and, and, and choice. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was like, Oh, Oh, I was kind of excited for the spooky mystery episode, but okay. <laughs> yes. Um, there's a fan wiki run by Star Trek fans called memory alpha, which has just so much information about Star Trek and uh, every episode. And they have a couple good quotes about the second episode that we've talked about, the doctor centric episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and one was from, uh joe minoski who's the writer talking about the the trouble with the ending uh struggling to write how the episode's supposed to conclude and he says uh i had an original version where janeway is holding this vigil and because of her exhaustion she drifts off to sleep and the doctor has something dark and sad and also moving to say and he looks up and she's asleep and so he doesn't say it but then he gets up and picks up the book and he reads a little and that's the end of the story and then they said it didn't quite feel right and brandon braga uh, brandon braga who was uh story producer i believe uh he made some changes and he said most of the uh he cut some of the dialogue restructured certain things and the newer version 90 percent of the dialogue is actually still there it's just things have been changed and now the doctor's alone when he reads uh the 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 poem and it just feels different uh and i'm kind of intrigued with that idea about um you know what feels different about him picking up her book and reading it when she's there versus when he's now alone in the room 
Um, and uh, I want you to ruminate on that for a second because there's uh-huh. also I, I'm thinking about it. I think there's something yes, to it. Uh, but uh, Picardo, the actor, says uh, has spoken specifically about this episode. It's one of his favorite episodes that he got to do in the series, and he says about uh, the end of it. Um, he says, in trying to reconcile those feelings of tragedy and guilt or doubt about choices, people create art, which is why I love this last scene. I think it had a very unusual ending for one of our episodes. The poem uh, says something like, here begins a new life. And I think it worked on two different levels. The poem was suggesting how, having had this experience, the rest of the doctor's life would be changed. The other level is that, I think you'd say, that this is his true firsthand emotional discovery of art. That poem, which was written a thousand years ago, could reach across a millennium and touch his own experience deeply and perfectly, but it was not wrapped up in a neat package by the end. First, I, I, I want to hear, do, do you have any thoughts on like the difference of that final scene with him alone versus with Janeway having fallen asleep right there? As I picture it, like I definitely feel like there is a distinct difference, mm-hmm. right? Do you, do you feel the same way with that? Yes, I think for me, there's more ambiguity when he's alone and reading these words aloud. Whereas there's a sense of companionship if mm-hmm. she's there, even if she's asleep. Like, yes, she is a mentor that's, that is that's, going to guide him through this. Right. I think that's that's something to it, right? Like, he has a community if she is there, mm-hmm. right? And there's something where if she is there asleep, he has some sort of... Um, it, it creates something where he is a caretaker for her in his role as a doctor. He's constantly a caretaker and it becomes, it switches from her who's been watching over him to him watching Ooh, I over thought her. that way. I like that. And, and, and that, and that doesn't feel quite right. Whereas if he's alone, it is about him trying to figure something out for himself. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just, if she's there, then it's like, she gave him the answer by having the yeah. book. And even though like she didn't hand him the book anymore, by being there or not being there. If he's there alone, he is finding an answer for himself, right? By being alone, it is his own journey. Mm. Oh, I, I like that uh, quite, quite a lot. Uh, that, that difference. And yes, him being there alone and carrying the weight in his performance of everything and being alone as he's now looking forward. Like, like we know, okay, this is the end of an episode, but the like Voyager's, there's gonna be through lines. There's gonna be re- repercussions for this. Um, that sense of loneliness when so much of the episode has been about individuality, I think matters. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And that he is on his own making this discovery of this line and talking, you know, reading a line about a new life. And I, I never would have made that connection that Picardo introduces when he's talking about this episode where he says, you know, th- this idea of art reaching across a millennium to touch his own, ex- his own experience. Um, you know, that's, I, I think that is something special about art. Uh, well, and well, and now that you say that, like, it makes me think it's like, OK, like he's realizing that. Even if he is alone in the room, he is not alone in experience. He is not alone in having faced a dilemma of decision and guilt. Uh-huh. You know, like if this writer can can write something a thousand years ago that touches on what I'm experiencing in this moment, then all the things that I've experienced have some sort of connection to other people. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just glanced over and I saw one more bit of trivia about this last scene. Okay. Uh, okay. There was debate while they were filming about which version of the scene to do the one with Captain and Janeway there or not. Oh, d- does it have any explanation for why they picked one over the other? <laughs> it sounds like exhaustion may have been what went out they filmed <laughs> this version first of him alone uh and then they they actually said that there was debate and they talked about filming it filming both and uh brandon braga said go ahead and film both and we can we'll have them in the editing room and then it was a few hours later the director of the actors called brandon and said they were ready to do the scene as it was originally written and he said fine uh but first they got the one that was in the shooting script done so they, they filmed that one and then it's one or two a.m and it's time for the second version. The actors and the directors just say, you know what? Let's hope it works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, I feel like we gained a lot of something like we, we maybe developed a lot of meaning for it, knowing that there were two versions and, and none of it could have been intended, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I like the meaning that we derive from it. Like, I mean, I, I'm not super opposed to either of them. And we never would have known. And it sounds like Minoski 
uh, is he prefers his original version with Janeway there. He feels like it changes too much to not have her there. Um, but I think when you want to end on a little bit of that melancholy, if what you, if you wanted mm-hmm. to end on a little bit of a melancholy, uh, ambiguous note, he needs to be alone. If you want it to end it feels more ambiguous. on a hopeful moving forward note, you have him with some form of community around him. In this case, Janeway, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think the isolation gives more ambiguity yeah. and 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 more for us as a viewer to like think about like, oh, man, but he's alone dealing with this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know we've ended up talking a lot about the Doctor episode. I want to shout out all the performances by Kate Mulgrew, Robert Picardo and Jerry Ryan in in these two episodes. I was really impressed uh, with it. And I know mm-hmm. um, Jerry Ryan, uh, like she said, one of for her, the most awkward moments of her life was having to act like she was leaning against a force field. <laughs> <laughs> when she's first put in the break and she's trying to go rejoin the board collective she's like it just feels mm-hmm. so utterly ridiculous <laughs> to lean against nothing and scream as though there's something there stopping you uh but uh they all like do great performances of um mm-hmm. different levels of uh you know uh sense of self for particularly jerry ryan and robert ricardo right you know they're they're at fractured moments of identity uh both of them and i think everything they do makes all those choices track right it all comes across for us as viewers um what could be you know a kind of confusing sequence of like okay what's dominant right now what are we supposed to reading and i never had any confusion about it and yeah kate mulgrew Uh, is just excellent as captain janeway really really fantastic um and i want to say like i also know that in voyager like it's a relatively large ensemble cast and there's like four or five characters who get almost no play in these two episodes mm-hmm. who are the main characters yeah, like, uh, for other episodes. And Paris and uh, Tuvok is very uh, well used in this. And, and uh, Harry Kim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Torres. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, like there's, there's there's a lot of other characters that are like, yeah, these are the main well, characters. It was really interesting when I was pulling up information about this uh, on Wikipedia for Star Trek Voyager. Uh, when you go to their episode list, um, you know, it has the same thing that every, you know, every series does where it's, you know, uh, t- episode title. Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, this puts in a start date because, uh, you know, we're always told by a start date uh, director <laughs> written by. But then this one puts in featured characters for every episode and it's almost always just one like okay well this is a neelix episode this is uh, a kim episode this is you know a mm-hmm. tuvok episode yeah like 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 captain janeway is not the main character in every no, episode definitely not uh and, and in fact she's like as i'm scanning through this list very rarely does it say janeway is your featured character um for i think she's mm-hmm. i mean she's always gonna be more prominent than like we said like neelix is almost disappears in these episodes like he's there for a scene in, in both of these like basically one 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 scene where he speaks but Torres mm-hmm. was Torres in. Uh, she's in the first, yeah. She's in the first. She's one in both more. of them. She's in yeah, both but, of them briefly. She has like a conversation mm-hmm. in both of them, which is like that could very well be kind of a contract thing. It's like okay, like this is our our cast. They each have to have a scene, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. per episode. Which which that feels accurate. I feel like they they each had a mm-hmm. scene in each episode. At well, least. I I know I've listened I've listened to plenty of podcasts that do like behind the scenes stuff, like uh, West Wing Weekly. Um. Josh Molina was always talked about how he loved it when he was a series, when he was made series regular and he got a script and he only had like three lines of dialogue. He's like, great. I am paid the exact same. (laughs) You know, for, for this amount of work versus, you know, a scene where he's like, Oh, I've got all the monologues this episode. I mean, and I wonder if, if there's like multiple different directors, they could basically be filming two different episodes simultaneously with, with, with how little overlap there is between some of these characters. Um, so so there could be like a, a, a Harry Kim and, and Paris heavy episode that was filmed while they were filming either of these two yeah. episodes. But again, I, I think Janeway is probably your 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 main through line. Like she's going to have more prominence than any of these other characters, mm-hmm. you know, per episode, you know, um, even when it's not like, you know, the Janeway centric episode. Yeah. Um, anyway, do you have any final thoughts about these episodes about Star Trek Voyager? I. It, it was really compelling. And I, like, I do want to consider going back to some Star Trek Voyager. There was something really satisfying about, I, I mean, this almost never happens anymore with anything that I've been watching. And I don't know how long, but having that episodic, like, yeah. And the next episode is going to be something like kind of totally mm-hmm. different, right? It might be more adventure. It might be more mystery based. It might be more of this, more of that political or, or philosophical or whatever, but like, 
there's different genres inside the Star Trek genre. And that was kind of fun. And knowing that it's like, yeah, there's still three lines and they're still the same characters, but we're putting them mm-hmm. into like very different tones. And and there's not like a real hard commitment through a line. Most of the stuff that I've watched in the last long time has had, you know, very clear, long term committed storytelling. These characters are evolving. And it's like Captain Janeway doesn't really have to evolve. Right. Like she's set and we put her in different yeah. situations. In this and you case, see what she does. like there are characters that are set up to evolve, like 709, the doctor. Those characters are meant to be very different at the end of the series than they are at the beginning. But Janeway, Kim, <laughs> you know, are we really going to see Paris? Paris. Whereas like, like, ah, they don't really evolve that much. Like they're kind of here. And how do they react to situations, which is like a very valid form of storytelling. And it's not one that I think we see as much um, lately, right? Where it's like, yeah, just take these characters like and put them in different scenarios. Um, I did want to quickly note, I was surprised how much I enjoyed the slow pace and luxuriousness of the opening credits. Oh, yeah, that was it had to be like 90 seconds of just shots of the Voyager going through space. No, no humans, just outer space CGI and 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 90 CGI. So it's not even like very good, but I kind of was like, per se, but I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is like uh, you're lucky if you have a 10 second opening credit. It feels like kind of like 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 a title card since Lost, you know, you had the as the words Lost went across the screen and then credits were rolling under a scene because they're like, we've got so much real estate to cover. We're not Mm -hmm. wasting it on on. I feel like. That intro to Lost is probably twice as long as anything you get now. <laughs> it's true. Right? It feels so brief. <laughs> you know, at the time, it was like, oh, so bold um, of them. So innovative. <laughs> and I also feel like like the one for Voyager was like more mellow mm-hmm. than than the next generation. Yeah, I think there's more of a sense of menace uh, w- with. Oh, well, I was thinking Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine definitely had because of the, the hard angles of Deep Space Nine. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, how much can you do with a space station in one spot? Whereas Voyager is like going through, you know, a nebula cloud and things are drifting, you know, and all this. Yeah, no, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and, it, and, and I think that's kind of reflected in the show. Like, I didn't feel like super pressured by the show. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't high tension most of the time. I was like, oh, man, like these guys are just trying to get through their stuff and get back home. <laughs> and they know it's going to take a long time. So they're just doing their thing. And it, like I, I really enjoyed watching these three random episodes. Well, we watched three random episodes and talked yeah, about only, two. We episodes. only ended up doing two. Um, 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 but but you know, like I enjoyed having it on. It, you know, it didn't suck in one hundred percent of my attention, mm-hmm. but it was you know a solid chunk of my attention. Yeah, it's, it's it could be a good uh, you know I'm half you know doing something else and this is on. Uh, and you know that you need those kinds of shows. <laughs> I think where it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're somewhat decompressing, whereas uh, sometimes I think shows that pull your full attention, which can be great. I think we talked about it recently that I, I kind of liked um, doing the Korean drama where I had to read every subtitle because I had to give it my full attention. It was a different viewing experience, um, but it it's not like uh, decompressing, like it's pulling me in and, and demanding full focus. Right. And having something that you mm-hmm. can kind of be doing, you know, three different things at once, uh, but you're following enough of the plot. I think it's good to have that kind of show in the back pocket. Like, oh, I'm just going to do one of those. And worth noting, like Star Trek is streaming everywhere. Like if you have a streaming service, Star oh, Trek yeah, is probably the, on the, it. Voyager was legitimately like I looked up. It's like, oh, where do I watch it? Oh, Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or Paramount Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was at least four places. I was like, okay, that is the easiest get we have ever had. Yes. Uh, <laughs> for watching something. So if, if this was interesting to you, I'd go do it. And like I said, I, I definitely watched the first two seasons of Voyager, but I had never seen these episodes. And it's kind of like, ah, I, I might need to go see how these crazy kids get back home. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, maybe maybe I should watch uh-huh, the whole thing. Exactly. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jaydorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. And Andrew, I don't know. I, I think we maybe said it at some point, but I just want to give another shout out to that uh you completed a second season of disney minute essential oh wait disney animation Animation minute essentials uh so uh if you uh enjoy andrew's insights into media he and his wife have at this point discussed uh the 
uh, let's see, Snow White was your first season, and now The Little Mermaid mm-hmm. was your second season of, well, you know, each yeah. episode talking about one minute of the film with a range of guests. And I know, you know, research is underway for season three, but no promises on when that one will start start to release. But uh, yeah, but we are we are working on it and piecing things out and planning things yes. out. But uh, congratulations on finishing a movie by minute. You know, that's that's Thank always you. Uh, uh, a task <laughs> to make it through those on the production side of it. I did, oh, it's it's got to be overwhelming to try and do five episodes a week. Yeah, we're not doing that again. We're we're gonna go down go to three episodes a week. You know, let it breathe a little. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. And you know what? People can binge it and do an episode today, however they want. <laughs> you know, just just wait a little while and you can get there. Mm-hmm. You realize we're we are nearing the point where uh, people could listen to one episode of our show a day and go for an entire year and never have to start over. We're, we're almost there. Oh, wow. Well, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. anything yes what is that what year did uh germany attack poland 1939 Uh, i was gonna say late 30s uh, andrew was saying 1939